1: Get This show, in case you're new to it, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, at CincyJungle.com. We're also on YouTube and Art19, so a lot of different platforms for this show, and uh, we appreciate the support, how you give it to us in those variety of ways. John, Bengals lost to to the Browns here, and uh, speaking of Baker Mayfield, we got to go here, John.
2: Let's go here. Uh,
1: Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on his, his stare down of Hugh Jackson. Um, And there's a couple of questions I want to ask as follow-up, but we're going to start here. Just when he was doing that and and I didn't actually see it live. I saw it when they, when they panned back and showed, you know, showed him kind of backpedaling and staring back at the sideline. And to be quite honest with you, it wasn't a play that he made that was like a wow throw. It was actually a wow play by Njoku. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, what do you make of that? I mean, I, I think we all knew going into this, Baker Mayfield was a kind of arrogant guy. He shows a lot of that on the field. He showed it showed It showed on college tape. Um, to be expected? or uh, Or is it just specifically because it's Hugh Jackson?
2: People have a problem with Baker Mayfield because he doesn't play for his for their team. There's, there's, no, there's no Browns fans out there that are be like that that are you know asking Baker Mayfield to calm it down and kind of hide in the shell because that's not that's not who he is. That's not how he succeeded as a college quarterback. That's not how he's gonna succeed as an NFL quarterback. I guarantee you that if Baker Mayfield played for the Cincinnati Bengals, everybody would want him to do the same exact thing that he's doing with Cleveland. But just because it's against the team that we root for, we certainly have a problem with it. Yes, you know, Mayfield like threw like a five yard pass to Njoku, who then ran 63 yards. But the impact of that play basically led to the Browns having a chance to finish over 500, the Bengals would finish below 500 and be last in the AFC North. And the, and the Bengals just happened to employ the head coach that again, Hugh Jackson probably didn't have much stay in drafting and then um, stuck him on the bench for like the entire entirety of uh, training camp and preseason and then the start of regular season. Baker Mayfield will always try to find the guy. To kind of you know, you know, build his mentality around and, and trying to make the villain, so he can kind of conquer him, and that's kind of just the way that he is. So he he deemed Hugh Jackson that guy because of the events that transpired towards him, and even after that first big game, he kind of he villainized Hugh Jackson, and then essentially the entire city of Cleveland rallied behind him and made Hugh Jackson that enemy to kind of you know just kind of spark some type of late season run, and then they did all they could to try to make the playoffs, but fortunately didn't work. But then, you know, Mayfield essentially emphasized that with this latest, like, stare down that lasted, like, a few seconds. You know, at, at this point, Hugh Jackson can't coach against the Browns and not expect to get trolled because of how things ended there. So e- e- even if Mayfield doesn't have this, like, much hatred towards Jackson, this is the persona that he's going to bestow upon him in order to galvanize his team and his and his fan base and maybe even his coaching staff to the point because th- what they see in Mayfield as the leader and a spark, and a culture shift, and that's exactly what that franchise is needed, and there's just no way that we can expect, you know, Browns fans to possibly ask him to tone it down, and we just have to have that perspective as another fan base of of a rival team, that that's just the way that it is, and we're just going to be jealous of it because we don't have it.
1: So, are you, aside from it being at the Bengals' expense, do you have a problem with it? Because no, 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 you, no. you do not. I do not. Okay. Because to me, this is kind of like the, the bat flip argument in baseball. Right. Oh, for sure. Uh, there are people that find it there because this is, this is where we are here. There's kind of two sides of the fence, you know, it, talking about baseball, you know, there are people that find that disrespectful and, you know, you're showing up other players. And then there's other people that are like, Hey man, this is a, a sport where the individual spotlight is on you quite often. And when you dominate, physically dominate another player, um you have a right to celebrate or whatever. Um so you do not have a problem with it based on, you know, what he did, what you have no problem with it and you think the players should or should be able to do that. I mean I yeah. I, I guess I
2: I feel like the fan bases for both football and baseball are similar to the unwritten rules aspect. Whereas with the NBA, there's like a there's a much different majority fan base where they're kind of open to players expressing themselves in that way and having these stare downs and having this sort of pettiness kind of take over games at times. And, you know, with both football and baseball fan bases, they're kind of like, you know, you should you know stick your head down, do, do your job because this is a team you know, this is a team aspect and you're not bigger than anybody else. Where as in basketball, you know, you have more individual opportunities to shine and and to have that personality kind of take over. But I'm all for players having fun, you know, and, 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 and just kind of expressing themselves in the way that they want to do, want to do so. And if that can galvanize and and lead a team to success, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for doing that. If we had a player like Baker Mayfield who can, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk, essentially, I'd be all for that. And that, that's one of the aspects that I liked about him coming out of college. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's not shying away from it. And I'm glad that, for at least for the city of Cleveland, it's definitely doing more good than bad.
1: I did not like it. Uh, I, and, and, and I – there are a couple reasons why. I guess I'm a little a little more old school in, in certain things where I just – you know, it's one thing if, if he's staring down – another, another player on the team. And maybe they had been jawing all day and that, that kind of stuff happens. Um, I I understand that, you know, there may have been something there with Hugh Jackson, but I I don't really understand the animosity. I I like how you, how you said, John, that he kind of looks to create a villain Mm -hmm. And, and maybe that plays into the, the quote unquote chip on the shoulder thing. Right. He was a walk. He was a walk on at college. He was, you know, he's shorter than than most prototypical NFL quarterbacks, Um, all that kind of stuff. And he has used a lot of different fuel, a lot of different villains to become a successful player, especially at the college level for now at the pro level. And I and I, you know, if that's what he's got to do and a lot of players do that, that's fine. I do did not – I don't really understand the Hugh Jackson thing because from what I understand, based on reports and things I heard back in the draft, Hugh Jackson actually kind of pounded the table for ba- to get Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield took over as a starting quarterback while Hugh Jackson was still there. And, yeah, Hugh Jackson went to the rival Bengals, but he was jobless. Was he supposed to not go get another job? especially if one that was offered to him right away where he could support his family in the pros. I mean, was he supposed to say no? So I, I, that's where I sit here and I go, well, why? And the only reason that makes sense is one that you said where maybe he's just creating a villain for the sake of creating a villain. And Maybe he's smart enough to know that this rivalry needs a little extra oomph because the Browns have been so bad for so long and the Bengals have largely dominated the series lately that it brings a little extra gravitas and headlines to a rivalry that hasn't really had much um, going forward. Now, me saying that, I understand how big of a hypocrite I sound because when when the Bengals had – Players like Chad Johnson, when the Bengals had players that liked to talk, a lot of times it was at the Browns' expense. And whether it was sending Pepto Bismol to Browns' players or whether it was all kinds of stuff that Chad Johnson did, the cornerback checklist, if you remember that one, John, there was all kinds of stuff. So I realize that talking noise or, you know, kind of bragging about it about certain things. I, I sound like a hypocrite in saying, I don't like it, or I sound like kind of a sore loser in saying that I don't like it, but there was just something about it. Just player to coach. I just, I would think there'd be at least a little bit more respect level, especially what happened a couple of weeks ago when they played. And there was more headlines where he just kind of brushed Hugh off. And I, I don't know. And, and maybe we don't know exactly what transpired in that locker room and how badly Hugh Jackson rubbed off on some of those players.
2: And I think that's I think that's the aspect that a lot of people just don't quite grasp. I like if cuz like like you said if Mayfield truly believes like logistically that Hugh Jackson shouldn't have taken the, the the Bengals job. He's, he's just stupid at that point. I think he's smart enough to realize that Hugh Jackson was looking out for himself, but like you said, like, and like I said, he's, he's just out there to create the, the common villain for them to rally against. And I think even if the Browns are still, you know, at this point better than the Bengals, they always, they, they've needed that in this rivalry to actually sweep the, the Bengals for the first time. in what's like 16 years at this point. So, the, the, there's that and there's also the aspect that i just don't think that hugh jackson just anywhere outside of like mike silver is respected by anybody like the the way that he exited cleveland the way that he basically had the blame tour you know on his way out and just the way that he handled things in there you know j- just in the very you know brief stints that we glimpsed that we got from hard knocks there was just no indication that he was the leader that was right for you know just any team, and you know, coming from a program like Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, you know, even Joe Mixon said that, said about, like, I've never been a part of a losing program before, and he was obviously referring to Oklahoma. Mayfield was a, was a part of that program that obviously made, had a lot of success in the Big 12, you know, to go to Cleveland and, and to see whatever clown show that Hugh Jackson was running, I guess he took major offense to that. So I, I truly don't believe that there's a lot of respect between Mayfield and, and Jackson, but I also believe that, you know, the like, like the words about him, you know, shouldn't be taking a job within the division that that's kind of just fabricated to the sense of him just propping him up as something that can that the team can rally against you know
1: yeah and I I think also what didn't sit well with me and probably a lot of Bengals fans is it was a it was a little bit of a symbol of I don't want to say passing the torch because it's really one season this could be an aberration we don't know what's ahead for Baker Mayfield he could end up having a major sophomore slump next year. Uh, you know Maybe the Browns experience a lot of the injuries the Bengals experience this year, and all of a sudden he doesn't look like the same guy. Who knows who they bring in at head coach, and that can have an effect on him, the offense, all that kind of stuff. Yes, they look like they're headed in the right direction. I'm just saying we don't know for sure what the future holds. But what didn't sit right with me is that bravado is what the Bengals used to have. Um, and as recent as 2015, maybe they didn't show it in the same way that Mayfield showed it, but the talent, the bravado, the confidence—that's what the Bengals used to have. And now they go out there almost seemingly expecting to lose, and that's uh, that's not that's not a, a good feeling to have as fans, as you and I who cover the team for com and the, on this podcast. It's not a fun feeling to – I know I feel that, especially with all the people that are out of the lineup. I, I, go I mean, into Who
2: doesn't feel that at this point? You right,
1: know? right. So So it's kind of like, well, I can only imagine what the players feel like. Now, I guess one bit of good news, side note, you mentioned him just a second ago. Joe Mixon did crack the 1,000-yard rushing mark on in this game against the Browns. So the Bengals did have, despite all the struggles, especially on offense, having a backup quarterback for a period of time, they did have a 1,000-yard receiver in Tyler Boyd and a 1,000-yard rusher in Joe Mixon. So at least uh, there are some positives there. Going back to Mayfield quickly, John, there are a lot of r- rivalries. There are a lot of villains in terms of Bengals fans looking outward into this division, or maybe even – Around the league, you know, uh depending on certain fans' viewpoints. But I think most people readily will say, Oh yeah, Big Ben or Antonio Brown or Juju Smith Schuster, but have as Baker Mayfield in two short games, do you think he has propelled himself into that conversation as that is now the team's either biggest villain or one of the biggest villains that they are facing and will face going forward?
2: Uh I, I honest- of, I'm
1: saying I'm saying play and character. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm saying in terms of play, on field play, and some of this stuff because I, I'm going to tell you what, John. This stuff isn't going to stop, especially if Hugh Jackson, no. if Hugh Jackson stays, whether it's as an assistant coach, a head coach, whatever with the Bengals, this stuff's not going to stop. So, I mean, I think we have to keep that in mind.
2: No, for sure. Um, if, if Hugh Jackson is out of the Bengals organization. Then you know Baker's going to find someone else to you know kind of put the target on the Bengals back. You know, um, I, I honestly, from like a fans' perspective, I guess it depends on your opinion of Hugh Jackson because that's like again, that's the one thing that he's you know you know pinning against and like you know putting the slander up against the Bengals team at this point. For the for fans who don't like Hugh Jackson. I don't think Baker's at that level of hate yet. There's just, it's just still a level of jealousy because the Bengals don't have that at the quarterback position, or at the most important position on the team, and they're just jealous that the Browns may finally have that, and, and they don't. Um, but definitely as a talent perspective, like he's by far at this point the second best – Yes, I would say he's probably the second best, like naturally talented quarterback in the division when everyone else is healthy, uh, ahead of you know both Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson. And honestly, I just think he's just slightly a bit uh, ahead of Dalton at this point, just in just natural ability. And obviously, yes, to sustained that and has to keep growing, but just off of, off of a base, he's shown a lot of things that just Dalton hasn't shown in like eight, seven plus eight years now. And I think at at this point, he has ascended to like the point that the Bengals fans and the team has to respect every time that they play each other, just just like, you know, when they play big Ben, because you can always expect Roethlisberger to come into Paul Brown stadium and do whatever he, you know, do what he does. And they haven't lost there in so long. And now they have to prevent the Browns from doing that exact thing. And, you know, where the Browns go from here with Mayfield at a quarterback, what they do with their coaching staff, that's going to be extremely indicative of how they go of how they, you know, perform moving forward and what their records are going to be like with Mayfield at quarterback. But the Browns are definitely a team with Mayfield at quarterback that will always challenge the Bengals, and the Bengals cannot expect to just sweep them, you know, every single year until they're at that level in terms of head coach and quarterback.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's asserting himself as as probably the biggest villain that they're now. Obviously, that in a few short days against the Steelers, I could easily change my mind. Just. <laughs> Just seeing those guys on the field and doing what they do on, on against the Bengals and uh, all the chippiness that always ensues there. But uh, based on the position he plays, um, based on, you know, usually quarterbacks on the field at least, with the exception of, I mean, really that I can think of offhand, maybe Phillip Rivers a little bit. Uh, they're mostly even keeled. They don't really engage in a lot of chatter on the field. And even at the at the podiums after the game, they kind of just – they're the they, they stick to the kind of coach speak stuff and um, he does not do that for no. better or for worse he does not do that and uh, I think that as especially as long as Hugh Jackson is there um, I, I think he's he's going to be he is currently making the case to be the Bengals biggest rival or biggest villain uh, especially because they're gonna be playing him at least twice a year going forward so um, I, I And, and someone said in the YouTube chat in order to, uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was Holy Moly donut shop. Uh, the best way to shut Baker up is to beat him obviously. Um, and they, they, he's two and O against the Bengals. So he can, he can talk because he's winning, but, uh, you know, he's kind of using that Johnny Manziel bravado attitude, but he's actually translating it to on field play and production. Um, and uh, it's turning into a product that, as from a Bengals standpoint, has to be pretty frustrating to watch um, going forward. So uh, we'll see how this whole rivalry, this whole relationship with Baker Mayfield and the Bengals continues. We're going to get out of here with some listener questions. And the first one, since we just talked about resolutions and the quarterback position, John, uh, the Oregon quarterback, Justin Herbert, I believe, said he's going to forego the draft, and he's going to go back into – uh college to play at Oregon this this year which is a, a little surprising but he did have that uh, shoulder injury I think mm-hmm. towards the end of the year that um forced him to miss a little time and uh, I think he wants to go back and really prove the tape that uh, it might not be the smartest decision on his part just simply because this is a weak quarterback class but we did get um we did get a question uh let's see who it was from it was from DI3S3L44, uh, I think it's Diesel44, actually, is if I'm cool enough to to read that correctly. Uh, with Herbert pulling out of the draft, how does that shake up the Bengals' interest and possibility of taking a quarterback? So this kind of t- piggybacks a little bit on what I was talking about with the quarterback situation in
2: 2019. What do you think? Um, so just based off... Like the last three or four, maybe even five years at this point. If you want a quarterback in the first round, odds are you're going to have to pony up and pay for it. And with extra draft picks, that's just the nature of the market now and how teams who may- maybe don't end up being in the top five initial order who need a quarterback, they've shown the complete willingness to move up and sacrifice, you know, future first-round picks and multiple mid-round picks of that draft to go up and get their guy. We saw the Rams do that with Jared Goff. The Eagles did that with uh, Carson Wentz. The Texans did that for Deshaun Watson. The Chiefs did that for Patrick Mahomes. Even the Jets did it for Sam Darnold. They they only moved up, like, three spots. The, The Bears did that for Mitchell Trubisky. They moved up, like, one spot. So it doesn't matter where you end up, you know, in the draft order. Odds are, if you want to take a quarterback in the first round and you're not picking first overall, you're going to have to trade up into the top five or you know, you know, way earlier in the in the in the first round than where you already are to get it, to get him. So right now, there looks to be like one in Haskins, who's projected to potentially go top ten, and then beyond that, there's like like Will Grier or Drew Locke, you know, you know, guys that have more questions attached to him, but even if right now you're not you know, excited about the prospect of either of those two behind Haskins, because I know Haskins is pretty much universally loved at this point, they still have to be open to, you know, willing, they still have to be open to the possibility of him taking over in like a year or two, because, you know, in the past, it's not always those first two quarterbacks off the board that end up being the most successful, like Deshaun, like Mahomes and, and Watson were like third and fourth quarterbacks taking Prescott was taking the fourth round. I guess it's more of an outlier than anything, but it doesn't always have to be that that first guy in in the in the draft class that is like you know the 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 surefire best quarterback of that class. You know, there, there's guys with potential here that can still be good players, and it's just up to the eval and how those guys end up turning out. You know, w- w- with their offseason programs and whatever, and depending on you know how much stock that they end up improving, you know where they're going to go. And so, yeah, obviously Herbert you know, not declaring definitely hurts the class overall, but I think that even with just Haskins being, you know, like the guy that everybody still like agrees on, I think there will still be another, you know, at the very least quality starting quarterback in this class and the Bengals have to be open to finding him. Uh,
1: I can't shake the feeling or, or the thought of – what if the Bengals had just drafted one of those quarterbacks last year? Because if they are looking for a quarterback this year, which I don't think they are, but if they are looking for a quarterback early this year, um, you know, it's kind of funny because then it's a weaker class. And of course the Bengals just make the wrong decision again. And they wait to get a quarterback in the class. that's a lot weaker than last year when they could have done so. But Imagine if they just said, you know what? If and this is the difference between the Ravens and how they are run and the Bengals and how they're run. They had mm-hmm. a, they have a Super Bowl winning quarterback on their team. Granted, he's older than than Andy Dalton, but they noticed some warts in his game. They noticed some aging, all that kind of stuff, and they said, you know what? Screw it. We're gonna take. We're gonna still give him some weapons, and he can be he can play this year. But we're gonna take this kid because he's high on our board. We want another quarterback, and that's that's what we're going to do. So they took a first round quarterback. Flacco gets hurt all of a sudden, Lamar Jackson comes in and they they you know, they're poised to pretty much win the AFC North. If the Bengals had not been so concerned with Andy Dalton's confidence level or whatever it is that that has made them not take a quarterback high in years when we thought they could or should. Imagine if they just stashed away a Josh Rosen on their bench or a whoever, one of the, whoever, one of these guys, whichever one of them, they, they like the best. And Andy Dalton, I mean, you, you have hindsight, you, you think Andy Dalton's going to start it all, all year, but you have one of these guys and all of a sudden now this person comes in and at, at the very least, maybe they win some games, but at the very least they get some valuable starting experience and you can say, you know what, either year two or year three, we're going to give Dalton maybe another year or something, but year two or year three, based on what we've seen, this person is not the guy, or this person is the guy, and uh, or 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 will be could become the guy, and the Bengals would have had in a season that has been lost, they would have at least had that going for for them, right? Oh. I mean, they, they would have had a young quarterback that they, they could say, you know what, we made the right decision, or oh boy, I don't know about this. So, uh, I I just I wish that they had, for lack of better words, had the stones to draft a quarterback and not worry about ruffling the feathers of the guy they already have in the building because they want to make the team better. Uh,
2: it, it, go ahead. Unquestionably, because you, like every year we talk about, you know, how can we improve the team or anything all? And then it always involves, you know, you know, targeting, you know, a multitude of different positions to have, you know, immediate improvements in those. And sometimes it will take, you know, years for those guys to develop and become acid sport doll to, to utilize. If you're drafting a quarterback in the first round, odds are he'll do better with the roster that a guy like Andy Dolan may be struggling with. Like Deshaun Watson, for example, like, did you see the gaming that he had against like, against the, uh, the Eagles? Like, like, his receivers were like injured. He was playing on the road, and he was just making plays out by himself. Like even Patrick Mahomes is doing things that we've never, that we've rarely seen from the quarterback position. And he's just elevating the guys around him. You know, Carson Wentz and Goff have improved dramatically. You know, even with their supporting cast, you know, they're they're showing their immense talent. If you draft a guy in the first round, odds are you don't need to fill every need that you have on the roster. Whereas if you have a guy like Dalton, you need all like the entire roster to be right. you know for a playoff run, so he can just you know take the reins and just, you know, you know, drive the car that's already, you know, fully equipped to, you know, handle a playoff run. If you have a guy that's uberly talented that can elevate a roster that eases your whole team building process tremendously. And, And along with all that, if they, if they do end up drafting quarterbacks that they, that they said they liked, but they weren't interested in taking in 2017, then you have a guy that again, you can either, you know, have, you know, prepare to take over for Dalton, who at that point is a bridge and then take over in year two and three and not have to worry about the, the rookie, you know, the rookie struggles of a first year quarterback, because I got like Mayfield and I guess Russell Wilson going back to 2012 and even Andy Dalton in 2011, those guys are pretty much, um, they're, 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 they're the anomalies when it comes to rookie quarterbacks. So most of the time it'll take a year for that quarterback to kind of get acclimated in an offense or just in the league in general. And then year two, we see that production really spike upwards. So the longer you wait to get a quarterback under your, under your belt and in your system the longer it will be until you can actually contend with him so if the Bengals don't draft a quarterback until like 2020 we can't expect that quarterback to actually produce at a high level until 2021 now he could if the roster is good enough to carry him in 2020 but odds are you know he's going to struggle just like a guy like Josh Rosen has struggled a guy like Sam Darnold has struggled and guys like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz struggled in their rookie years as well so uh, odds are you know he's not going to end up being Deshaun Watson coming into this first year, he's going to struggle and he's going to go through the motions in his first couple starts. And the the sooner you get that out of the way, the better that the quicker that your franchise can move forward.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's I, I watched the game on Sunday night a little bit. We had a family get together that evening, but Sunday night the the Chiefs Seahawks game, mm-hmm. and you just you just see what those two guys do can do, and what you know what they, what they mean, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. That is, you just see. I, I made the comment to to some family members saying, you know, that that's just the difference of a guy, what those guys, who those guys are and wh- what they can do for their teams. Um, I mean, that's, that's just the real, reality of it. And, you know, it's not that I don't want – I think Andy Dalton is a great human being. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I think Marvin Lewis is a, is a good human being, despite some of the terseness in his <laughs> press conferences and whatnot. Uh, I, I would like to see those guys win. But if they're not winning,
2: it, <laughs> right, right, you can always swing again. If you fail, you can always get back up again. It's not like it's not like being you know in, you know back back under the dirt for five more years is going to do any more harm than just continuing the same old thing over and over again. You, yep. At some point, you just have to change it up, and if it doesn't work, try again.
1: Yep, and and in today's NFL, as opposed to when Marvin Lewis first took over as the Bengals head coach the risk level in terms of financial investment of a first round quarterback if they are a bust is not it's not nearly as big of a deal I mean go look at go look at uh you know Baker Mayfield's contract or whatever compared to Car- what Carson Palmer got as the number one pick in, t- in t- 2003 it's night and day so there's still a risk but it's far less substantial than it was a handful of years ago. So with the new CBA that was signed. So um, that's where I don't understand. I mean, I I get, you don't want to be non-competitive even for a little bit, but I mean, sometimes you got to do that in order to get, get to a higher level. Mm. At any rate, we've got another email and then we're going to get out of here, John. And it was from John Telly. Um, Interesting. And it does kind of segue nicely into from what we were just talking about. But, um Basically talking about, you know, is there a possibility that the plan was in 2018 that this is still a rebuilding year and that 2019 was going to be what everybody is hanging their hat on? And there's a couple of reasons that uh John Tully lists out basically number one Marvin gets a two-year deal rather than a one-year deal I know the Bengals have an out after one year but why bother with a second year if this was a quote-unquote prove-it deal especially if uh, he got some some rental deals in the past they had cut veterans uh, like Aloka LaFell and Jones but played rookies and Bates and Price uh, that they usually wouldn't deem ready um, they made trades and some free agent signings in the off season for players that will be that will be with them beyond this year um, all that kind of stuff uh, but they they didn't make trades before the deadline in the season uh, when the playoffs were a realistic goal did the front office write off this season before it started in the hopes of positioning themselves for a playoff run in 2019 I should say that I don't agree with this reasoning um, but wondering what the front office is thinking. And then he also just writes a little thing to be fair. I'm not someone who thinks Mike Brown doesn't care about winning. I just think he's not very good at it.
2: That's that's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's I I wholeheartedly agree with that last sentence, but your thoughts on some of the points he laid out in, and this plan
2: that the Bengals have had for 2018 and 2019. They, They don't, they don't have a plan. They don't have a good one at, at the very least. <laughs> the plan uh, is not having a plan. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 it's, I don't I don't know if they can if they can tell the difference between, you know, like a like a, a clear rebuilding year that's hidden behind the propaganda of them being more aggressive. I don't know if they're smart enough to kind of you know be a two-faced organization like that. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with it because I think in their minds they were aggressive this off season. compared to 2017 when they let go of their two best offensive linemen and didn't properly replace them um, in free agency or the draft, and then this year when you know th- like they made the trade for Cordy Glenn they and they made the trades to get you know Billy Price and obviously Jesse Bates and then Willie um, Jefferson as a result of, of all that I think in their minds they were more relatively aggressive in their approach yeah, and then then firing a guy like paul alexander who's been with the organization for so many years to get you know a guy who had you know quote unquote success with dallas coaching that line in frank pollock i think in their minds they were plenty aggressive and i think they were expecting to build you know in what has now become a weak division relatively compared to years past where the steelers aren't as dominant and the ravens and browns are uh, are experiencing a, a facelift of sorts so I, I don't agree with that. I I I think that, um, like regardless of of if they believe that they're going to be competitive or, or, or rebuilding, that Marvin Lewis always had to say, and whether or not he was going to continue coaching, and that hasn't changed. You know, you know, with, with how the season has has endured, and they obviously didn't expect a lot of these injuries to happen, and they've been unfortunate, but you know, you you could say that that's an excuse that can give this argument more weight, but I just don't believe that they, they did. I don't believe that they didn't believe that they could compete this year. And I think they did all that they thought that they could do to make that happen. And it just hasn't happened because their process is extremely flawed.
1: Yeah. And I, I I agree. And even if they didn't believe it, they, every team would tell you, Oh, we we expect to compete for a championship every year. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the cliche. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. There are some flaws in some of the logic, and it's not necessarily John's logic, John Telly's logic. It's just the logic that's been laid out there. They, Some of the players that they brought in in free agent deals are not going to be back next year. Preston Brown is a one-year deal guy, so, uh, and, and that was supposedly one of their big guys that they signed from the outside. Corey Glenn, yes. I mean, that was a trade, and, and they've got him for locked up for a couple of years now, but... Uh, so I, I find flaws there. I also find flaws in, in what we just talked about with the quarterback stuff. I, f- I would think that if they truly thought, hey, you know, if we get competitive in 2018, if we're close to 2018, awesome, but 2019's the year, I, I would think they would have explored quarterback last year. I, 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 I mean, that's the biggest sign of a rebuild or the biggest, aside from hiring a head co- a new head coach – That is the the sign of rebuilding. We're going to move forward with a different quarterback. And they did not do that in a very heavily talented class last year. And they, instead, they said, well, let's just kind of plug a couple of holes here and there. And it temporarily worked in the form of a four and one start, but injuries and it being basically a house of cards ended up collapsing. And here we are again for the third season in a row where the Bengals have a losing season. So, and, and I also would think that if they really, if they really work, if they had the mindset of 2019 as our year, I would think that you wouldn't. I don't know, two two straight years of losing seasons that you wouldn't want to say, yeah, well, we'll, we'll have another one and then we'll get there. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. I just uh, I don't know. I just find some flaws in logic, and I think John, you hit the nail on the head in that if you were to ask the Bengals and. You know, at this time of year, especially when the Bengals aren't doing well and they've had a string of uh, unsuccessful seasons, you know, there's the the open letters and the fan letters and people talking about how their interactions with ticket salespeople because they don't want to renew and blah blah blah. And that's that's great, that's their prerogative. But you, if you see the letters that get sent back by the organization to the t- ticket holders and all of that, um, they make these reasons or excuses of. Hey, we were aggressive last year. We were just injured. And uh, I I don't know. And and I think you're going to hear a lot of that stuff. I think you're going to see Marvin back next year. I think, like you said, John, there's going to be Vance Joseph probably in the mix. If he's let go, he's probably going to be the team's defensive coordinator. I'm expecting a move to Hugh Jackson at offensive coordinator, to be quite honest with you. And... They're going to try that and they're going to try and recapture 2015 how they can. And they're, that's, that's going to be their game plan this next year. And then that's probably when it blows up, if it does not work, which signs point to inev- inevitably that it will not. But um, I, I just, I think 2019 will probably, they'll probably be a better, they'll be a better result in terms of a record, but I don't, I don't see necessarily too many huge differences in terms of a quarterback or a head coach or anything that, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't think, I think they thought 2018 was, not, we talked about this on a recent show was a retool, not a rebuild. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they thought they did enough to, to be competitive and, and potentially sneak a division crown this year. And they, they fooled everybody for about a month and a half. And then, that was it. So uh, good email by John. Good questions all around. We're a little short on time, so we're, we're going to get out of here. But uh, we appreciate all the listener questions. If you're new to this show, you can get it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get all of our stuff on cincyjungle.com. And we are also on uh, YouTube and Art19. So get the show how you can. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you have a great New Year's. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Check it out. And if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall.
2: Don't do anything smart.
1: Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters.